And uh, we welcome uh, this morning, the, the chapel is joining us this morning. And uh, didn't Ken Montgomery knock it out of the park over there, chapel? Derek Brandt, great job on your worship. Uh, Jamie always talks about Troy over here, so we got to talk about the venues for a second. Did, didn't Derek do a good job venue? And, uh, but we welcome them, and we want to pray for uh, Mountain Valley, as Steve Erickson, our pastor over there, is going to be preaching on the same passage we're going to be looking at today, John chapter 9. In fact, if you have your Bibles, uh, you may want to open to that passage as we talk this morning about sight and what that means. Uh, we also want to be praying for Rick Holman, our pastor at our Cactus Campus. Rick is doing a, a really cool service this morning. They are doing their service at the Roadrunner Park near their church. And there are going to be a lot of people there that are exposed to that music and the message there. And we really want to be praying uh, for them. So as we uh, uh, prepare to get into the word, let's take a moment to uh, pray for these guys and to pray for us as uh, we uh, open the word that God's spirit would speak to us today. Would you pray with me? Father, we have, uh, we have done that. We have prepared and set the table today in such a way um, that we really should be able to grasp and, and hear from your words to us today. And yet, Lord, we readily are aware that in our world there are so many distractions. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, minimize those for our few minutes that we spend together in your word, that you would challenge our hearts. We pray for our uh, venue and multi-site pastors this morning and those congregations. Fathers, they worship that you would bless them too. And so, Lord, uh, uh, be with us now as we open up your word, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, we've been in a series entitled Follow, what it means to follow Jesus with everything in your heart. We've been in the, those middle books of uh, the book of John. And it's a time when Jesus' popularity is, is just soaring, but a, a parallel to that are the suspicions about him. Who is this guy? He's making a lot of claims in his life. And as Jamie uh, preached last week at the very end of chapter 8, coming into chapter 9, they're so angry with Jesus and the fact that he claimed to be I am, before Abraham, I am, I was preexistent, which has a lot of meaning with it. They actually picked up rocks to stone him, uh, thinking that they were well within the confines of the law because they would consider Jesus a blasphemer. And as, Jesus, as Jamie did that excursus with us last week, some of you that were here remember that preexistent Jesus means that he still exists now. That's good news for us. It means that he is who he said he was. And the greatest news about a preexistent Jesus is that you and I can exist forever with him. That's really what it's all about in this series on follow. What does it mean? I think so many of us get wrapped up in religious things. Have you been there? We, we come to church and, and we think that that's going to fix my life, uh, make things more comfortable, and we forget that it's all about walking with Jesus, encountering Jesus, being on a journey that he has for you, and, and living out our lives by the flow of his spirit through us. And yet we can't resist looking for the 10 things that we can do so that we can have a report card that we might look up and say, God, see how well I'm doing? And our behavior in this life is never to be motivated by guilt. And yet some of you are here this morning because you thought, I need to come to church. That's what a good person would do. Or it's never motivated by thinking, I'm going to 
earn something with God. That if I'm a really good person, then God must see and shine his favor. You know what the Bible says and what this series is all about, that if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you've already been declared right. So live from that point. Live forward. Live out of relationship to him. You know, Jesus, at this point, as we come into John chapter 9, and Troy did a beautiful job setting this up for us, uh, he's got a lot going on, but I'm, I'm amazed that in the midst of people who want to kill him, how calm he is. Our chapter will open up with Jesus just simply passing by. Chapter 8 closed with Jesus disappearing from their, their midst. And in the midst of all of this, he continues to minister with such poise and such grace and such power. Troy already gave the spoiler alert. He told you what happens in the story. There's a blind guy who gets healed. That's good. He now sees. And, and throughout these 41 verses, there ensues a prolonged debate between Jesus and the ongoing debate with those religious leaders. But now this is going to include this man who was healed of his physical blindness that he had from birth. It's going to include his family, neighbors, as to what all this means about who Jesus is and our following of him. Which begs the question that I want you to sit with this morning, and that is, how has Jesus impacted your life? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And how has that changed your life? I want you to sit with that this morning. We're going to come back. Uh, this, these uh, verses in chapter 9 really float nicely. There are about four movements in this chapter, and one epilogue, I'll call it, and I'll give them to you right up front. They simply are, there's an experience this man has with Jesus. It's an initial sighting, if you will, where Jesus literally heals his physical blindness. And then there's a responding to Jesus that results in confusion. People are gonna be confused, and we're gonna unpack these in the few minutes that we have. And then there's the examining of Jesus that leads to division. And then Jesus comes back on the, on the scene identifying himself, which leads to the belief of this man. And then our epilogue will be, is that rejection of Jesus leads to condemnation. And so let's look at this passage and begin by looking at verse 1 of chapter 9 on the initial sight that this man has. And let's look at the first uh, seven verses here, if you will. It goes like this. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Isn't it interesting how this begins? They thought they were going to have a theological discussion, but they're yet to realize that they're going to actually have a compassionate, miraculous experience. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. A reference back to chapter 8 and verse 12 where he said, I am the light of the world. And verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud. I don't know if I'm the only one who sits going, that's kind of gross, right? But that's what he does. He spits on the ground, he makes mud with saliva, and then he anoints the man's eyes with the mud, and he says to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and here's the kicker, he came back seeing. You ever had moments in your life that you would call defining moments? Have you ever had those? Maybe it was your first kiss, 
Uh, maybe some of you are still waiting for that. Uh, maybe it was a graduation from school. Maybe it was that career, that dream promotion, a defining moment in your life that just causes you to pause and go, whoa, that's something I never want to forget. Have you had those? I think in our culture in America, though we're becoming, uh, fast becoming a post-Christian nation, most people, when you say Jesus, can reflect back on their journey or their life and say, you know, I, I had a Jesus encounter. How about you? Have you ever had a defining moment with Jesus? Uh, what was it for you? Was it in parochial school, Sunday school? Did you hear about Jesus on the radio, maybe television? Maybe a friend told you about Jesus. Or perhaps you went through a crisis of your own and it forced you to ask the question, is there more to this life? You know what I'm talking about. There's gotta be something more because I'm recognizing that I live in a, a world where I'm not winning all the time. There are pains that I've experienced I never thought I would. There's heartache that I can't even describe and it's causing you, maybe some of you even here this morning, to think again about Jesus. This man has an incredible story. That's why I love the my stories, that story about Kyle today. The story a couple weeks ago about Alexis. In fact, you know, often, not often, but from time to time, my wife and I will go to a section on the scottsdillebiblechurch.com, shameless plug for our website, and there's a whole section on all those my stories that we show in church, and we'll watch one after the other after the other, tears streaming down our face because seeing the story of others and their encounter with Jesus gives us perspective. Do you have a story of an encounter with Jesus? This man definitely has a story, doesn't he? He was born blind, and you're gonna see that that's significant, not just because he was born physically blind, but the inference there is that every one of us sitting here come into this world spiritually blind. We cannot see, and we're without hope. That's the point of this whole story. This man has an encounter with Jesus. Perhaps some of you are here this morning. This may be your first encounter, the first time you stop to ponder more about who Jesus is. The story begins with the question, Jesus, why is that man born blind? In fact, that man would probably be somewhat of an afterthought. As they walk past, they see somebody who's a lowlife, somebody who's a beggar, who has no hope. He's been blind since he was born. And they're asking Jesus a theological question. Why? Why is this? Was it because that he sinned? Or maybe his parents sinned? Or maybe he sinned in the womb? And I think about our stories. I think a lot of times they begin the same way, don't they? Many times, and we think about our lives, we're trying to find a reason for our pain. Have you been there? Something happens in your life, and the first thing we do is we look for the cause. Or maybe you look to blame somebody, as if that's gonna make it all go away. The only problem is it never leads to a solution. How many times can we blame somebody? How many times can we find cause, maybe even sue somebody, get a pile of cash, but it never provides perspective. It never provides for us a solution uh, in our lives. And then Jesus gives them the answer right away. You see it. He says it's not about this man's sin. It's not about that at all but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I stop and I go, whoa, that is a game changer. It was never about sin. Now, now let me get this right. Are, are there some times that we sin and something bad happens? 
give me a head nod that you get that, right? Yeah, I mean, sometimes we do something that's sinful and it results in a bad experience. I would argue the sooner that happens, the better, so that it could bring us back to confession, forgiveness, and back into a right relationship with Christ. But sometimes there seems to be no reason. And I love what Jesus says, that this is not so much about cause as much as it is about purpose. I want you to hang with that for a second because I really believe that your spiritual sight depends on that understanding right there. If you want to navigate through the pain of your life, through the confusion, through the chaos, searching for a cause places blame and, and does little in regards to any kind of hope you can have. But understanding that the God of this Bible knew all of this from the beginning. He knew what you were going to experience, what you were going to go through. So understanding that God is actually a planner is critical to your and my spiritual sight. That God has a purpose. If you want to understand what it means to follow him and have spiritual sight, we have to understand this. I like the way John Piper said it when he talked about understanding our pain. He said the implication of this, the pain for your life, is profound. No matter what mess you're in or what pain you're in, the causes of that mess and that pain are not decisive in explaining it. What is decisive in explaining it is God's purpose. Boy, that is a, just a huge paradigm shift for me. Many times our sin can, we can point to causes, as I mentioned. Sometimes we're at fault, sometimes not. But trying to find the cause doesn't help us gain perspective. Seeing our blindness and our trials through God's purpose is the key to spiritual sight. And we're gonna see that as we walk through this story in a few minutes this morning. And that if we follow God's direction, we trust in him and his purpose, it's gonna give us the sight that we need. You're gonna look back and with so many people, so few people, you're gonna say the suffering you went through was worth it all. A la Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for his good, to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purpose. I, I've met few people than I care to admit that have gone through incredible trials and have come through it and said, because of this perspective, I would go through that trial again. I'm not there yet in my own faith. I go through a trial, I'm like, whew, I'm thankful I went through that. God, help me get what I learned and help me move on. But no, if we have this perspective that God has a purpose in all he does, we will look at all of our suffering as an honor to the Lord and certainly as one that gives us perspective and sight with him. In verses six and seven, we have the actual healing of this man that sets up the question, who is Jesus? That's what they're asking. Who is this guy? I mean, in verses, verse four, he talks about doing the works of God. I have to do the works of the one who sent me. And then he goes ahead and does the work. That's got to be messing with the minds of those people. Saying, wait a minute, you just talked about God's work, and then you just did God's work. Which is the huge section in this story. This story will lead this blind man to have greater sight than just physical sight. We'll see the religious leaders will actually have greater blindness than merely physical blindness. And it's interesting that Jesus takes that mud. And, and what does he do with that miracle again? With that mud? When does he do the miracle? Did you catch that in the story? It was the Sabbath day, wasn't it? Why is he always doing miracles on the Sabbath day? Can't he just do one on a Thursday? He, does it on a, he always does it on the Sabbath. Why? Because he wants to continually remind the people that he is Lord over the Sabbath. Why does he even use mud? 
Well, because in their rules that they added to the law, there was actually one about mud. You could not create mud because that would be working on the Sabbath. And so Jesus does a double whammy on them and healing on the Sabbath and using mud as the means to do that to show that he's Lord over the Sabbath. And you think about healing for a minute. Healing. What's the purpose of Sabbath? Rest. Don't you think healing somebody would be fundamental to that person experiencing rest, a true God-ordained Sabbath? And it triggers a controversy that's gonna go on for the rest of this chapter. And what Jesus does, his actions always serve the purpose of exposing the hearts of men and women. Exposes the heart of the blind man, his incredible need. The blind man comes out of that and begins to grow in his knowledge and his understanding, which is the purpose of Jesus exposing the hearts through his words and through his ministry. For the Pharisees, it exposed their selfish and wicked hearts, didn't it? I think a second reason that Jesus used mud here is interesting because it reminds us that God often uses means to do his work. Do you ever notice that in life? That God often, here he, and he, could, have, he could have healed the blind man without mud. Yeah, I mean, he didn't need mud. Why did he use that? But God often use, uses a means in our life. Think about food. Most of you are thinking about it now anyway. You're thinking about what you're gonna have when you leave here, right? I love food. My wife and I, we just live for food. We, think she, we got a new cookbook when we were on vacation last week. We think about food all the time. But could God quell your hunger pains without food? Thank God he doesn't. I love food, right? So, but he could do that without food, but he uses a means to take care of your hunger pains. Could he heal a sickness without medicine? Oftentimes he does that. We pray, we lay hands, we anoint with oil, we, we see God healing miraculously, people that are sick, people with disease, and yet medicines are a means that God uses too to bring healing to sickness. Could God warm our earth without the sun? I mean, this list goes on, right? God doesn't need the sun, and yet we have the sun. And all these means, the mud, the food, the medicine, the sun, are all designed to point to God, to glory in God. I mean, science seeks to try to figure it out. And as great as science is, by the way, God is the over science, God is the creator over math, God is the creator over history, he's a God of history. But science always comes to a place where they get stuck and they can't explain it. And the purpose of that is that we would agree with the psalmist in Psalm 19, one that says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies his handiwork. God is continually showing himself to us engaging with you and me, even today, to have an encounter within to give us sight that is greater than merely physical sight. So we have that first movement in our story, experiencing Jesus leading to sight. There's a second movement in verses eight through 12, and it's responding to Jesus that leads to confusion if you're taking notes on your outline. So they're gonna respond to this. There's gonna be chaos, like something just happened, and it's not gonna be a dark kind of confusion just yet. It's more of a curious thing. Look here at verses eight through 12 as the story goes on. It says that the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the guy who, who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he, others said no, but he's just like him. You can see how this would happen to us. That's nah, not really the guy, it, it kind of is. And then he kept saying, 
I'm the guy. Can you imagine? I'm the guy. Look, I was blind. Now I can see. I'm, I'm the guy. He was saying that. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He goes on. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and, and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Can you imagine the chaos going on? I don't know. I'm the guy. Who did it? You did it. You're like the guy. No, there's amazing confusion that's going on in this story here. And that often happens in our journey, doesn't it? We experience God and there's a confusion. Like what just, what happened? We try to find an explanation for it. And that's a normal part of all of our journeys. And the story goes to a third movement. And that's that examining Jesus leads to division. And this is gonna be the biggest part of our story they start to go into a deep dive on who is this Jesus? What really happened? They go to the religious leaders. They go to the neighbors. They go to this man's family. And you're gonna see that it leads here to division all the way down here to verses, uh, down to verse 34. And I thought about just flying through it, but we gotta read them. So look up here to just see how potent this story is. There's confusion and they bring the man to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind, now it was a Sabbath day, point that out again, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Simplest story. Sometimes we get so caught up in our stories and making them so complicated and so long. You know, what was your encounter with Jesus? What happened and what's going on now? That's what God wants you to do with your story. That's what this man's doing with his own story. He said, I received a sight. And he said to them, uh, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. So he's moved from Jesus being a man to a prophet. He's growing in his understanding of who Jesus is. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind or they'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So his parents are involved in the story. Verse 20, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. So his parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. You see the flow of this story. Verse 23, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so for the second time, they called the man who'd been born blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. And as Troy read for us earlier, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The man is becoming adamant. I'm the guy, now I see. So they said, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I, I've told you already. And you would not listen. He's becoming bold to the power people in the community. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying these words, you are a disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. The evidence is right there, and you have to walk over this to try to make something up, verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin because they wanted to attach his blindness to his sin and keep him in oppressive control. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. What a powerful story. This man comes to a place where he looks at them. He's like, this is an incredible thing. Something amazing just happened to me and you're working so hard to keep me blind. It amazes me when it comes to Christianity. Amazes me that we, in our culture too, we have to work so hard to reject Jesus, an historically, by the way, verifiable figure, scientifically verifiable words of God. I mean, Christianity, think about it for a second. This gives us the most plausible explanation to our origins. Academicians from the beginning of time, at least 2,000 years, have looked at this and bowed a knee to Jesus so it's not smarter people see this as an old book. This can hold its own against history, science, and math. It's a powerful, powerful book that tells us where we came from. The beauty of these 66 books within this Bible is also that it gives you and me purpose for our lives. Jesus said, I came to you and I've lived life to the full. And then as if it's not the cherry on top, God gives us the hope of eternity, which is really what this is all about. This time, the sand, as Jamie said last week, on the seashore, the sand of, that we're this little speck of sand that represents our spot on the beach of eternity, it's all about getting a focus on eternity. And so don't miss the point. Christianity offers the best explanation as to where we've come from, why we're here, and the hope of eternity. Think about our life. What are the best things that we offer about where we came from today? Theories. Theories of our origin. And what do they say about your purpose? There isn't one other than hedonism. Just live for yourself, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. That's the best that it can come up with. And then, is there a hope for the future? No, you're just gonna die. Really? That's really, really difficult to reject the claims and the truth of Christianity, especially when it comes down to Jesus. And so we see this division in this third movement, and then the man is cast out as if you think, oh man, this this guy's in trouble. Cue the Rocky music right now, right? Because there's a fourth movement here, and that's identifying Jesus that leads to belief, Identifying Jesus and it leads to genuine belief. Sight, if you will, this man. Look at verses 35 to 38 here. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, he didn't see him before, right? Who is he? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. Double entendre there, more ways than one. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What's your response when you see Jesus? You see, that's the key to our story today. Your response to an encounter with Jesus is gonna make all the difference. In fact, that's our take-home point here today. If you take your notes on your outline, seeing Jesus initiates a journey and what you do with your new sight is gonna make all the difference. You have a story. This man had a story. Kyle has a story. And one of Satan's greatest challenges to us, or one of his greatest things is to neutralize you to think that you really don't matter much in this life. Just bide your time, play it safe, look at everybody else's stories. But God says, no, you have a story. You have an encounter with Jesus. And I wanna use your encounter to send you on a journey. What are you gonna do with that encounter? 
Are you gonna be like the parents of the, the blind man who said, whoa, uh, we don't wanna have anything to do with that. I don't wanna lose my spot in my seat in my worship center at Scottsdale Bible Church. I don't wanna take that risk. Or will you be like the man who says, I'm all in, I believe. Jesus is the dividing line through it all history, the pivot point, if you will, in which our human destiny turns. You know, there's an epilogue here. It's the very last point in your outline where it says rejecting Jesus leads to condemnation. That's the sad story. Look at the way this story ends here in uh, John chapter nine. Uh, Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say, uh, we see, your guilt remains. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that there are so many of us out there who think we see, we think we've got it figured out, and yet we're blind. I don't wanna be that guy. I really don't wanna be that person. And so I wanna come to the Lord out of absolute need. As a little child, Jesus said in Mark 10, 13, come. As someone who desperately needs sight, and I can't figure this out on my own, with humility, come to the Lord. Allow him to lift me up. As James said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He lifts them up. My wife and I had a chance to go on a vacation uh, last week. It was, it was great. We actually did the, the Dave Ramsey thing. Uh, that's a shameless plug, by the way, in your connection catalog. Go to the financialpeaceuniversity.com. Um, and uh, we actually put money in an envelope, save for a year, and actually went to Mexico. And uh, it was great. We just had a great time. I don't speak Spanish at all. I mean, I'm a Canadian who grew up learning French who's actually from Scotland. And I tried to put on the... <laughs> the Scottish accent, and she asked, where's the haggis? And they just looked at me kind of funny. But we did know some Spanish words. We knew words like, si, which means yes. Gracias, which means thank you. Some of you obviously know Spanish here. Uh, we, we learned important words. And by the end of the week, we kind of strung some of those together, like, you know, si, gracias, muchos gracias, muchos buen nachos. And we literally thought we were doing pretty good. And, and so we would talk to these men and we would just sort of string all those words we knew together and, and they would look at us funny. We thought, maybe we're not doing as well as we thought. We would ask for something and they'd bring something different. And we're too nice, we'd eat it or drink it anyway, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then we, we kind of laughed and thought, we must sound so funny to these wonderful, kind, gracious serving, Spanish speaking people. And we thought, what if it was turned around? How might we sound to them? And we just played back in English. We were able to translate from Spanish back to English what we must sound like. And so we put all our words down and we just, this is, we thought, this is what we must sound like. Hello, hello, good day, much good day, yes, yes. Very yes, good, much, good, little, very little, thank you, much, much thank you, little thank you, hello, good night, because we learned that one there. Thank you, how are you, and where's the bathroom? <laughs> we figured it all out. And they thought that's why, in fact, we were walking down the, some of the streets, and my wife kept thinking, some of the guys kept saying, sexy, sexy, and she's like, yeah, I still got it. And it was at the end of the week, we actually realized they were saying, taxi, taxi, <laughs> literally. And it was just a... So we, uh, we realized, but you know what? 
Don't we do that? We think we can see. And this is exactly, I think, what the Pharisees are looking like before the Lord. They think they have it figured out. They've got the language down. They're obeying the law. They're doing everything right, but they've missed the point. And Jesus said, you are more blind, and it's a worse kind of blindness than merely physical blindness. You're gonna be so blind, you're gonna wish that you were merely physically blind, but they don't see. And it begins with humility. We're all born into blindness, and yet we all have the opportunity to see. You're being here this morning. Maybe the first opportunity begins. And I want to just in the few minutes that we have left, just look at the journey of the blind man and maybe parallel that with your journey. What are the blind man's journey? So in your outline, I put down about four different blanks. As you look at the journey, the story of this blind man, where did it begin? And it begins with the first one, and that's acknowledgement. He came to a place in his life where he acknowledged that there was something going on. He had an encounter. And Jesus is still simply a man in verse 11. He says, this man called Jesus did this. Later on in the story, he, he's talking to the Pharisees and, and he claims that he is a prophet. Something's happening. He's growing. He's on a journey. His eyes are moving from dim to beginning to see. It's a defining moment. And I think most of us could be there with that guy. Most of us, even the fact that you're here this morning, would acknowledge that Jesus was a man. I get it. He was a, he was a good guy. But to go where the blind man goes, I'm not sure if most of us would want to go where he goes and what he puts and what he risks. Like his parents in the middle of the story, they didn't want to commit. They didn't want to give up their comfort. So he moves from acknowledgement and he moves to the second part of his journey and that's commitment. He comes to a place where he says, you know what? I'm gonna call myself a disciple, verse 27, when he's talking to the religious leaders. He sees Jesus, obviously, as his master. In verse 33, he recognizes that he is from God. He, now he's put on the WWJD bracelet, right? What would Jamie do? And, uh, or Jesus do, I mean. And uh, he's got that on. So he's committed here. And I think most of us could get to the acknowledgement. Most of us could get to the commitment part of this and see that and claim Jesus is the son of God. Lord, I believe. I think of my own life. I spent many, many years uh, on my own journey, committed to follow him. But many of us get here, but we still call the shots. We see God as a cosmic consultant. We see the word of God as something that maybe I'm gonna acquire head knowledge and I'll debate you and win some debates and feel good about the knowledge part of it, but it really never gets to my heart and it never really extends to the life that I'm living, God's spirit living in and through me. And I spent a lot of years doing what I wanted to do, putting spiritual phraseology around it and asking God to bless it. You know what it did for me? Led to exhaustion, led to ministering out of fear and almost cost me my family, my ministry. See, a lot of us can get there. We can acknowledge God. We can understand the commitment. But to go where the blind man goes, it gets pretty uncomfortable. What happened to the blind man? He was excommunicated. You know, I remember being on a mission trip to uh, India back in 1984. I was a 17-year-old, overzealous, young Christian guy. wanted the toughest mission trip I could ever find. So I looked at the globe of where I lived and went to the other side and said, I'm going here. And we camped in tents, you know, in the hottest time of the season in southern India. And we zealously went out to these villages to share our faith with these young men that we met there. And, and we had the privilege and, and the awe of leading a young uh, Hindu boy to Christ as a 17-year-old. My tent mate and I were like, this is amazing. Prayed to receive Jesus, put his faith alone in Christ alone, beginning his journey. And we went back to our tent just reveling in that and praising God. And in the middle of the night, when we were in our tent, the, the flap shook and all of a sudden the zipper started to open. It was kind of scary. 
but in pops this young man in the middle of the night. So I think, what's that all about? And he began to tell us that he was so excited about his faith in Jesus Christ that he went home and he told his parents, and you see where the story's going, and his parents said, you're not welcome here anymore. We were stunned. We thought you just get people to pray a prayer, they sign their card, we take it home, we take a picture, we send it, you know. But it cost him so much, we didn't even know what to do. The next morning, we sent him over to some of the leaders of that team, and, and I don't know whatever happened to that man, but it cost him dearly. You know, at times, my bad theology wants to keep me in my comfort, because I think if I go all in in this thing, I might be punching on one-way ticket to a mosquito-infested mud hut in a jungle in the middle of nowhere. That's bad theology. But here's the good news about sight. Having sight and being all in with God doesn't mean that your worst fears are gonna be realized, but it does mean that you give up your rights sort of to be thrown into that pit. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that many of you have taken that huge step and committed yourself to Christ and then you are surprised when some big challenge doesn't come your way. In fact, some of you are saying, wow, my job's going really well. My marriage is great. I seem to be very blessed monetarily and I'm living comfortably. When's that big test coming? Sometimes that just doesn't happen when you put your faith all in and that others of you have found yourself being all in for God and now you're in a place that is worse than you could have ever imagined. And here's when we're all in what happens. You're surprised what you find there, aren't you? Not many of us get there, but you're surprised that you actually find sight. You realize Jesus was right. He is right here with me, and you're a changed person. You realize he has given me the strength to move through this. And so what sight means, that even if it leads us through a dark time, we see with new eyes and thus rest in God's purpose. Whether we're on the pit or on the top of the mountain, God is with us. Man moves us from acknowledgement to commitment. And the third movement there is he moves to surrender. He lays it all down. It's what it was all about to begin with. Jesus wants people to surrender. Whatever happened to that blind guy? Do you ever figure it out? Do you ever try to look in your Bible and say, what happened to that blind guy? That he maybe wrote a book that turned into a blockbuster movie or maybe he started a ministry called nowisee.com because that would be really cool. And if he had a name, they just put his name in there, ministries, because you really arrived in ministry when it's your name, Neil Montgomery Ministries. And you can give money to that and all that. Or maybe it resulted in a, in a mega church, you know, called Now I See Church. No, we never hear anything. This man's completely out of the picture. Why? Because it was never about that guy. It was always about Jesus from the very beginning. That's the point of the story. Jesus does the works of God. God gets the glory and he is worshiped. The man was born blind. Then he saw a man. Then he saw a prophet. Then he defended him at huge risk. And then he worshiped him, which is the end game for all of us. Jesus is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and truth. And that's not an hour and 10 minutes on a weekend, by the way. Romans 12.1 is a style of worship that says, I lay my life down as a living sacrifice, all in, which is my spiritual service of worship. How are you worshiping today? What's your focus on? What's your sight on? Is it on everything here? I tend to do that in this world. But our sight is to be focused on there on eternity, and then this place comes into perspective. I like the way Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, where he said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And that's the last part of the men's story here, 
is that the man was focused on eternity. He acknowledged Christ, he committed his life to following him, but then he surrendered and said, no matter what he does in my life, he's gonna be the reason for everything that I do. What would that look like in my own life? I know my own life, when I finally came to the end of myself, that's when I really began to see. And God is a, a God that's like that. He will allow you to make choices, freedom to make free will, and yet when we make choices for ourselves, he'll allow us to come to the end of ourselves. And in that moment, that's when he wants to give us the sight that we so desperately need. What's your story today? Are you looking for Jesus? Or are you just coming to church? Or maybe you're just looking for a cause for your pain or someone to blame it on. Do you think that you see when really you're actually blind? I don't wanna be that guy. Do you worship Jesus? Romans 12, one worship. Sacrifice your life every moment for him? Does your worship deepen when the trials of life hit you? Does it falter or does it flourish? If I spent time with you, would I recognize a blind man or a blind woman who's been healed? In other words, would I see somebody who has a story? I love how this story goes. Jesus sought out that guy. He was nothing. You ever notice that Jesus never sought out the religious leaders? He never went to those people who were rich even. They would come to him, he had interactions with him, but he never sought them out. He always went to the people who knew their place. They were in a humble state where they desperately needed him and he sought out this man. Never chased them. And he heals them, not just physically but spiritually. Will you and I let him lead? Will we respond to his seeking of us. See, coming to church isn't gonna give you spiritual sight. Good start. Studying the Bible won't give you necessarily spiritual light. It will reveal it to you, but it won't give you sight. Attending church, learning the creeds, singing songs, even drinking from our communion cup or entering the waters of baptism, those things aren't gonna give you spiritual sight any more than putting a rooster in a chicken coop is gonna make it able to lay eggs. Only the work that Christ did on the cross, his spirit opening our eyes and our believing in him is gonna bring us Sight. The Pharisees thought they could see. Oh, they memorized the Torah. They knew the law by heart. They could attend to the Jewish liturgy better than anybody. And yet in John 9, 41, Jesus said, their very guilt hinges on the fact that they claim that they can see when they're actually blind. I asked you a question in the beginning. Has Jesus changed you? Has he changed your life? Do we hear Jesus talking to others when we come to church? When we read our Bible, do we hear him talking to us? Do we hear him talking to the crowds on the mountain, by the seashore as we read? Or do we, when we read the word of God, hear Jesus speaking to us and to our hearts? And last question, will we hear of him healing a blind man or will we be healed and be given our sight? How has Jesus changed you? You have a story to tell to the nations and it is a beautiful story. I saw many people, as Kyle told the story, tears in your eyes, as Alexis told her story, as that man told the story of incredible health challenges about three, four weeks ago. Story after story, and your story could be up there on the screen too, not that you wanna try to promote, but that your story is that significant, that the sphere of influence around you can be challenged and can be changed because you encountered Jesus, acknowledged him, made a commitment, surrendered, and had your focus on eternity, and just told the story with confidence because you weren't dependent on what they thought of you <laughs> for your validation. You've already been given it. Think about your story today. And as we're gonna close up our service today, we're gonna sing another song. We're gonna take up our elder fund uh, here today. And uh, Troy will tell us about that in a moment. But I'm just gonna close this in prayer and we'll turn it to the other venues in the chapel as well. And, uh, and then we'll sing our last song. Let's pray together.
Father, we, uh, we come before you as needy people. We come before you as people who desperately need to know and to understand who you are. God, we plead with you and ask that you would help us. Give us sight. And God, for those of us that are here this morning and we feel like we've got all the answers, Lord, would you just meet us in that place? That you'd help all of us to come to a place where, of, where we're humble. We reach out to you and Lord say, give us sight, Lord, and then use our story to do the same thing that you did with the man who was blind, that he didn't know what happened, but a moment ago he was blind and now he sees. May the stories of the collective group of everyone here in this place today start a movement in our community that will change lives and see people moving into eternity. And we will praise you and give you the glory for all of that in your son's name. Amen.